I want to uh, talk to you today about the believer's secret weapon. The believer's secret weapon. There are some Christians who are called prayer warriors. They're in every church. They may not hold a specific formal title, position, or office, but they are easy to identify. They are the ones people instinctively go to when they need prayer. It is good to have prayer warriors in the church. Brothers and sisters who are known in the congregation for their devotion to prayer. Brothers and sisters in the congregation who are known as those who can get a prayer through. But prayer warrior should not be a distinction or a designation for some small elect group as if they have been specially trained in victorious prayer in spiritual warfare and have access to some private number of God that the rest of us do not have. Truth of the matter is, Every Christian should be a prayer warrior. That's the simple point that I want to make out of Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. Every Christian should be a prayer warrior. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 is one sentence in the original Greek New Testament. It is the most clear and comprehensive statement about spiritual warfare in the New Testament. These verses, verses 10 through 20, confront us with the fact that Christianity is a battleground, not a playground. Let me warn you, saints. If you try to live for Jesus, Satan is going to fight back. If you try to obey God's word, Satan will fight back. If you seek to do the Lord's will, Satan will fight back. So Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13 issue a call to combat readiness. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This weekend, I was trying to look up something for this sermon and I took a shortcut and just Googled spiritual warfare and all kind of spooky stuff came up. But that's not what you find in scripture's clearest statement about spiritual warfare. Here, Paul is not trying to tell you how to decipher the enemy's schemes. He's trying to show us how to stand firm in the faith no matter what the enemy is up to. You don't have to live your life preoccupied with what the devil and his forces are up to. The Bible says you just make sure that you are dressed and ready for battle by putting on the whole armor of God. Gird up everything with the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith that can block all of the fiery darts of the evil one. Put on the helmet of salvation so that you can face life with a renewed mind. Don't try to go to battle without the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The whole armor of God equips the believer to stand firm in the faith, however, wearing spiritual equipment does not win the battle if you don't have spiritual enablement. You need strength. Power, energy to wear the armor and work the armor. Where, where do you get this strength when you feel like falling out instead of standing firm? I believe verse 18 is the answer. If you need Spiritual energy to fight life's battles. You need to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, you need to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Here in verse 18, Paul drops his military metaphor, but he is still talking about spiritual warfare. He, he has been describing the equipment God gives the believer 
by comparing what we have to the battle armament of the Roman soldier. Paul wrote this letter while under house arrest in Rome. Uh, they didn't have one of those electrical devices to monitor where he was, so they just did it the old-fashioned way. They chained him to a Roman soldier. Now imagine that as he is writing this passage, moved by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calling the believer to stand firm in spiritual warfare, he looks at the soldier he's chained to and says, yeah, he's got a breastplate, but the child of God has got a breastplate. His righteousness. That soldier's got a helmet, but the child of God has a helmet. Salvation. That soldier has a sword, but the child of God has a sword, the word of God. He's still talking about warfare when he gets to verse 18 and brings up the subject of prayer, but he drops the metaphor because nothing that the Roman soldier had can be compared to what the child of God has in prayer. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. In the midst of the battle, but that soldier to cry out to Caesar would not help him at all. But I got good news for you. When you are facing a battle, you can call on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will hear and answer prayer. So I commend to you today, church, that prayer is the believer's secret weapon that guarantees spiritual victory. I don't know if I'll get to say everything that I plan to say, so let me just give you the big idea up front again. Prayer is the believer's secret weapon that guarantees spiritual victory. William Cooper said it well, restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer keeps the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Prayer is the believer's secret weapon that guarantees spiritual victory. Lay your eyes on the verse again with me. I want you to see the structure I want to work through. Four times... In this verse, Paul uses the big little word, all. We're to pray, if you want to be victorious, you got to pray at all times. With all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints. May I suggest church that that little big word all is the difference between a victorious Christian and a defeated Christian. Yeah. 
defeated Christians pray sometimes with some prayer and supplication with some perseverance until they don't feel like it no more. For some of the saints that they like and who don't get on their nerves. Are y'all in here with me today? But the victorious Christian prays at all times with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints. That's how to be a prayer warrior. Let me walk you through those clauses under these headings. How can I be a prayer warrior? First, pray sincerely. Pray sincerely. And when I talk about praying sincerely, I simply mean sincerity in prayer means that you make prayer your first response, not your last resort. Paul says it this way in verse 18, you ought to be praying at all times. What does it mean to pray at all times? It does not mean that you should do nothing but pray. It means that you should do nothing without prayer. You should pray at all times. You should view every occasion in your life as a reason to pray. On, on, the, on the good days, thank God in prayer. On the bad days, trust God. In prayer, there was a pastor who began every Sunday morning with a prayer of thanksgiving. It was a cold, dreary, stormy Sunday morning. And members wanted to know what in the world would he find that day to thank God for. And as usual, he stood up and began with thanksgiving, but that day, his prayer of thanksgiving was simply this, Lord, we thank you that every day ain't like this day. <laughs> Y'all not hearing me here. <laughs> That's what it means to pray at all times. It's to, uh, it's to view every occasion in your life as a reason to pray, as an opportunity to pray. As an excuse to pray, W. Graham Scroggy said that you should pray when you feel like it, pray when you don't feel like it, and pray until you feel like it. We should be like Daniel. Daniel's enemies tried to bring him down. Daniel chapter 6. They tried to bring him down and they concluded, however, that uh, 
They couldn't use women or money or power to trip him up. They, they concluded that the only way to bring Daniel down was to make an issue about his God. So they went to the king and seduced the king's pride so that he signed a decree. In essence, declaring himself God for a month. He made it illegal to pray to any other God but him for 30 days. Some of us would have said, Lord, I'll check in with you next month. <laughs> Not Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel didn't have to figure out what to do in a crisis because he just did what he had been doing. He didn't have to find God when things went bad. He already knew where God was and he kept doing what he had been doing. He opened his windows and got on his knees and even though the enemies were plotting to bring him down, he thanked God with an open window and and told God about his situation. You gotta pray at all times. Ah, but you can't do that in the flesh. Because in the flesh, you only gonna pray when you feel like it. In the flesh, you only gonna pray when an emergency comes. In the flesh, you're only going to pray when you want something real bad. The text says here, you've got to pray at all times in the spirit. <laughs> in the spirit. God is one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those three persons are coexistent co-equal and co-eternal. So ultimately, it is proper to pray to any member of the Godhead, but there is a biblical pattern in the New Testament that bids us to pray to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. And verse 18 here reflects that that pattern here we are told to be praying at all times in the spirit this is not a reference to speaking in tongues in the spirit here means that you should pray with a humble submissive obedient attitude toward the Holy Spirit that says to the Spirit as you pray, Spirit, as I talk to the Father, guide my thoughts. Guard 
my heart and govern my words. Left to ourselves, we'll pray for the wrong things. We'll pray with the wrong attitude. We'll pray with the wrong motives. But hallelujah, if you can't call that person you count on, I got good news. If you are saved, you got an internal prayer partner. Romans 8 verse 26 says, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we are but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that is too deep for words hallelujah you pray in the spirit depending on him to lead you in prayer help you pray he intercedes for you with Words that are, uh, um, um, the mama told the son, go down to the florist and uh, go in the yard, that is, and uh, pick some flowers. I want to put some flowers on the table for dinner to make it real nice for your father. And he comes with a handful of flowers with thorns and weeds. And mama doesn't reject it. She takes it from her son and she pulls the weeds and arranges the flowers and sets it on the table. That's my feeble attempt to explain how the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness when we pray. We say, Lord, I need you to get them. And he pulls that. He said, Lord, they just need strength and patience. Help me here, somebody. <laughs> he, he helps us. He energizes us. He strengthens us so that we can pray sincerely. But as a prayer warrior, not only should we pray sincerely, we should pray strategically. Look at the next clause. It says that you should be praying with all prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication here are synonymous terms but there is a distinction worth noting prayer is the most generic word uh, in the Greek New Testament for prayer and it simply means talking to God I wish I had a whole sermon's worth of time to lean here but friend don't take for granted what a blessing it is just to talk to God. Have you, prayer is a wonderful privilege, not a burdensome duty. God is sitting on his throne in heaven, running the universe. But the psalmist says, that when his children cry out to him, he will incline his ear. Do you know what that means? Incline his ear means he'll lean over heaven's balcony to make sure he hears your cry and answers your prayer. Don't, don't have an attitude that says, oh, I, I, I ought to pray. Oh, you should joyfully 
say, I get to pray. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16 says, since then we have so great a high priest, Jesus, the son of God who has passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast to our confession of faith. For we do not, verse 15, Hebrews four, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are yet without sin. So then let us through him continually draw near to God so that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody here who needs some grace and mercy in your life. The good news is our great high priest has open for us a new and living way to God by the blood of his cross. I don't deserve anything from God but my mediator at the father's right hand says I paid for that blessing. So it's a privilege to talk to God. Uh, here Prayer is distinguished from supplication in order to tell us that prayer should be more than supplications. Prayer should be more than just asking God for stuff. Prayer should be more than you submitting your updated grocery list of personal blessings. Sometimes, the theologian Stevie Wonder says, sometimes you just ought to call to say, I love you. <laughs> sometimes prayer ought to be just communication with God. It ought to be communion with God. And the better blessings come when you seek God's heart and not just God's hand. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Are you still with me? So the text says you ought, you ought to be praying with prayer, but also with supplication. Supplication is request, entreaty, or petition. It is an inferior asking a favor from a superior, recognizing I don't deserve the favor, but I'm trusting I will get it from the goodwill of the superior. Here... This is how you and I are to pray. Matthew chapter 7 verse 11 says, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good things if you just ask him? So on one hand, prayer is talking to God, but on the other hand, Prayer is trusting in God. 
Let me give you the key to prayer. You can listen to 100 sermons on prayer. You can read books, go to seminars. I'm going to save you all of that. I'm going to give you the key to prayer in one sentence. The key to prayer is a heart of dependence. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care how skilled you are at reciting prayers. Listen, prayer doesn't get real until you adopt a heart of dependence upon God. You don't need deep theology to figure that out. This is just the reason why we pray better when we in trouble. But it shouldn't take trouble for me to recognize I need God. The hymn says, I need thee every hour. Most precious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace afford. So let me just stop the ride for a moment to get in your personal business. Do you trust God? Well, let me tighten that up. The things you pray about Reflect the things you really trust God for. The things you don't pray about reveal the things you foolishly think you can handle on your own. Do you trust God? Your trust in God is demonstrated by your prayer life. Prayer advertises our dependence upon God. When you pray, you are not informing God of something he doesn't already know. Hallelujah. When you pray, you are not sending God somewhere he is not already at. But prayer affirms I have a need and Lord, nobody but you make a difference. Do you believe God? There was a historically dry town that had a businessman move in and build a bar. For the first time, alcohol was sold in this community. The community was outraged, but one local church decided to take action They called an all-night prayer meeting of their membership and spent the night interceding for their community, asking God to intervene to do something about that bar. Not long after the prayer meeting, lightning struck the bar, and it burned down. And the bar owner sued the church for damages. Not wanting to be held financially liable, they got a lawyer that went in and argued before the judge that that church's prayer meeting 
had nothing to do with that bar burning down. And after both sides made their arguments, the judge said, before I render a verdict, I do want you to know one thing is clear in this trial. Apparently, the bar owner believes in prayer more than the church people do. <laughs> do you trust God? Prayer advertises your dependence upon God. You should pray then sincerely pray strategically thirdly pray steadfastly Paul says in verse 18 to this end keep alert the verb there keep alert is a compound term that just simply means no sleeping Winning prayer is watchful prayer. It is the picture of a soldier on his post who remains awake and alert and aware. If he falls asleep at his post, the enemy may take him unaware. And so the faithful soldier keeps alert. So that he is always ready for battle. Paul is saying here, church, the devil is so busy, the world is so evil, and our flesh is so weak, you can't afford to be sleeping when you should be praying. You need to keep alert. How do you keep alert? You keep alert. With all perseverance. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, a little further into the garden with them and asked them to watch. And then he went a little further by himself to pray. And then when he came back, his good friends were fast asleep. Matthew 26, verse 40 and 41, Jesus says to Peter, Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, therefore, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What Jesus said there of Peter is true of all of us. You may be willing to do right. You may be willing to serve the Lord. You may be willing in your spirit to obey the commands of Christ. But it's true of all of us. The flesh is weak. and We will inevitably fall into temptation if we do not watch and pray. That's what the text is saying. Keep alert with all perseverance. Perseverance is patient endurance that stands your ground regardless of the circumstances. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it shall be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Those imperatives, ask, seek, knock, are in a grammatical emphasis that denotes continual action or repeated activity. Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Whatever you're going through today, saint, Persevere in prayer. Don't stop praying. 
pray until something happens. Luke 18, 1 says you ought to always pray and never give up. Colossians 4, 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with all thanksgiving. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Pray steadfastly. Finally, pray selflessly. A healthy, growing, fruitful Christian knows how to pray for himself. It's good to have prayer partners and pastors and believing family members and friends. But church, if you're going to grow in your relationship with God, you got to learn to get to a place where you talk to God for yourself. Healthy, growing, fruitful Christians pray for themselves, but healthy, growing, fruitful Christians do not just pray for themselves. Something's wrong with your prayer life. I don't care how much you pray. Something's wrong with your prayer life if you don't ever get around to praying for anybody but the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Supplication for yourself should overflow into intercession for others. This is the last point Paul makes in his verse. He says you ought to be making supplication for all the saints. You should pray for all the saints by name and by need. Stephen Moiter says prayer binds the whole body of Christ together in love. We love people by praying for them. Verses 19 and 20 give a practical personal illustration of how this can work. Paul says, why are you praying for all the saints? Pray also for me. The words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Listen to me, church. Paul was the greatest pastor, theologian, and missionary in church history. But Paul was not so great that he couldn't admit to the church, I'm standing in the need of prayer. Friend, don't ever think you are so strong that you can make the journey by yourself. We need other godly people who will cover us in believing prayer. That, I got to quit, but that deserves more than that little cheap hand clap because some of y'all in here know that you would be dead if it wasn't for the people that were praying for you. You would have lost your mind. You would have been in jail. Ain't no telling. You wouldn't have been in church on a Sunday morning. But when you were out there in the world, people who loved you had you covered in prayer. Paul says, pray for me. And he doesn't say, he doesn't say, pray that I get a good lawyer. 
to get me out of jail. Mm -mm. He says, pray that while I'm locked up, I'll lift up Jesus. Pray that while I'm carrying the burden, I'll lift up Jesus. Pray that while the storm is raging, I will lift up Jesus. Many of the calls to prayer in scripture are accompanied with promises that God will answer. This is one of the big statements in the New Testament about prayer. This is an important lesson about warfare prayer. But there's no promise. No promise that he'll, he doesn't promise here he'll give you victory. He doesn't promise he'll make the enemy leave you alone. He doesn't promise here that he'll make the devil behave. He just says, pray. And the, the lack of any promise, the fact that he doesn't mention any result of prayer here is meant to confront us with the fact, church, that the act of prayer is more important than the answer to the prayer. Uh, anybody know anybody ever had the Lord to work it out before he work it out because the very act of prayer is taking the burden out of my hands and putting it in the hands of the Lord and can I tell you about something about those hands? Those hands are able to do far more abundantly than all that you could ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. So, you in prayer got to learn how to put it in the Lord's hands. And keep your hands off of it. Just give it to God. And whatever the consequences are, whatever the outcome, whatever the result, I trust you, Lord, that is in your hands. And you are able to make all things work together for the good of them that love you and are called according to your purpose. I thought I'd have a witness there. I'm glad I brought my own just in case. In your own prayer time, you need to read through 2 Chronicles chapter 20. There was a king of Judah named Jehoshaphat. And a league of nations rose up against Jehoshaphat. They were headed to Jerusalem to attack and this king when he got the news that an overwhelming army was coming he did not go into his war room to devise a military plan he didn't visit the pentagon to figure out combat readiness he didn't call the state department 
to see if he could send a diplomatic representative to work this thing out. He called for the nation to fast and pray. And then he went in the house of God and submitted the matter to the Lord in prayer. I wish I had a prayer in church. Verse 12, 2 Chronicles 20 is the key part of his prayer. He said, Lord, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this multitude that is coming against us. Here's the line. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. That's how prayer warriors talk. Lord, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. While they were praying, God put a prophetic word in a man's mouth and told him to say to Jehoshaphat and Jerusalem, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Lord, help me. Verse 17, just in case they didn't get it, he said, you won't even need to fight this battle. Just stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord. He'll work on your behalf. Just don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you and the Bible says that Jehoshaphat believed God I said Jehoshaphat believed God is there anybody here that believes God can keep his promises Jehoshaphat believed God and the next morning when it was time to go to battle instead of calling out the troops and the soldiers and the fighting men the bible says he appointed a, a choir and told them to sing unto the lord and instead of marching out with bows and arrows and swords the bible says they marched into battle verse 21 saying give thanks unto the lord for his steadfast love endures forever hallelujah and the bible says
I need y'all to help me. Can you just look at that person near you and tell them I got good news?